Okay, so let us begin. Beginning Parsha Shmos here in Ne'er Avram in Shari Chesed Yushalayim. So the very first Rashi helps us try to understand why the book is called Shmos. Names, right? Shmos These are the names of Bnei Yisrael who came down to Mitzrayim. Es Yaakov Ishu Beisobo. They came with Yaakov. Okay, so Rashi brings down the question, the sources in the Medrash, meaning they just counted them at the end of Parshas Vayichi, gave the list of all those Jews who came down to Mitzrayim, the Shivim Nefesh, the 70 souls that came down to Mitzrayim. So why are we counting them again smack in the next week's Parsha? Because now it's already getting to the end of their lives. So he counted them again by their names. And he says, this is Lodia Chibosan. This is to publicize how precious they are, right? To publicize how beloved they are. Shenimshlu Kochavim, that they're compared to stars, okay? That it says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings out the stars and brings them in, in their numbers and in their names. There's a passage that says, HaMotzi B'Mismar Tzvam L'Kulam B'Shem Yikra. Hashem brings out the stars, each in their number, each in their name. And that's going to be our subject somewhat, the idea of stars and the idea of names. And why those two images are so important for Am Yisrael. And especially, you have to remember, nothing in the Torah is just a history book. Nothing is just, you know, what was. Everything is relevant. The process of going down to Mitzrayim is relevant to us as a nation, to us as individuals. The process of coming out of Mitzrayim is also relevant. So we have to try to see incense. So let's start a little bit with the idea of names. Ramos Shapira quotes a Zora Kodosh that says on a Pasuk from Tehillim, it says, Hashem. Go look at the doings of Hashem. Asher some shamot ba'aretz. Who put shamot in the world. Okay, now they say, Al tikre shamot. Don't say shamot, which means like desolation. Say shemot, which means name. Okay, now Rav Moshe was a big chacham in, in Lashon HaKodesh. In fact, students of his, I just saw an advertisement, they're starting a base medrash for understanding the depth of Lashon HaKodesh in memory of Rav Moshe. Because just looking at the words and seeing it, so one thing he always spoke about a lot, there are many words in Hebrew where the same word means the opposite in different forms. For example, shoresh means a root, lisharesh means to uproot. Okay, that's um, one of the things. Uh, lifkod means to count someone, that they're here, right? Pokod, pakadati, I'm counting. Or yipaked moshavecha, right? That was when Yonason told David, I'm going to go to the Suras Rosh Chodesh and Shol's going to notice that you'll be missing. So pakod is to count, yipaked is to be missing. So he said, in the same way, shamot or shmama, desolation, right? Which is an idea of being mishtomim, Rashi says, that a person's like just overwhelmed and confused when he sees desolation. The reverse of that is a shem, is a name. A name gives tzura, gives a form. It's something that has a meaning and it's also something that has a mission, right? Malachim, their names we say, change by the mission that they have. That's why the Malach told the Yaakov Avinu, 
Namazeti Shalishmi, right? Where are you going to ask my name? It, our names change by the mission. So the name of a human being really is true name. The sense of name is the mission. So when Bnei Israel are being sent down into Mitzrayim, which is Shmama, desolation, or right, this idea of the spiritual desolation which is there, they are coming down as names. Now these names are meant to be like stars, which transmit light within darkness. Okay, so let's try to look at these different pieces. It's um, in Shmos Rabbah, they bring drushes where they say that the names of all the Shvatim are Al Shem HaGeula, right? They bring different things that connect the name of each one to the Geula. Let's see where I marked that down, the different ones. Right, like it was with Shimon, Shamati, it's Nakas B'nei Yisrael, right? It says, Reuven, Vayar Elohim, that Hashem saw. There's a connection between each name of B'nei Yisrael and the Geula, meaning that these people who came, they had a mission, they had a form, and they were able to transmit something that would lead to the Geula by coming down into Mitzrayim. Now, our names also are connected to something much bigger than us. First of all, this I remember of Moshe pointing out, there's one name of Hashem that includes us. And that's a name, it's, and it's a discussion in Halacha. The name Hashem, right? and if you want to be firm about it, you say Tzivakot, right? meaning, so to speak, this army of Hashem. So the question in Halacha is only the word Hashem, the shame which is Kadosh, and it's all the halachas of Hashem, Hashem, or is also Tzvaot part of it? We Paskin that Tzvaot is part of it, which means that Am Yisrael is so unified with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that we have that Kedusha of Him. Saying the Yom Noraim Davening, that you called our name with your name. We and you are one in these ways. Also, he points out a fascinating thing in the Rambam, in the halachas of making a shvua. We're not allowed to make a shvua by any of Hashem's creation, so to speak. But the Gemara says already, if a person was nishba in Moshe Rabbeinu, he swore by Moshe Rabbeinu, that's okay. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu is so connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he means the one who sent Moshe Rabbeinu. The shliach and the mashaleach are virtually indivisible. So he says that's the power of what it means, a name of a Jewish person. A name means that you carry a connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu deep into the darkness of Mitzrayim. And he said there are very few people sometime who are able to do that and to carry that through all the way. This is where he got to Rav Dessler. When he gave this year, it was close to this year. That year he spoke on the 24th of um, Tevis, which is Rav Dessler's yard site. It's going to be coming in a few days, but the same Parsha. So, as I mentioned a little bit before this year, he was related to Rav Dessler, and he was Meshamishim. And he said that he wanted to speak about a few things, he said, that he heard from him at different times. One of those was, he said, he says, I heard this asrot pa'amim. I heard this tens of times from Rav Dessler about the Chazal, which says, Bonai, right, my children, 
Pischuli Pesach Echod Shel Tshuva, open one little opening of Tshuva, Kachuda Shel Machat, like the eye of a needle. Vani Pasech Lechem Psochim, and there's two versions in the Gemara, I will open openings that you, Agolos Kronios Nichnasos Bo, right, trucks can go through there, things, or Pesach Kapischo Shel Ulam, like the gateway of a huge hall. Okay, now he said, Rav Dessler told him, this Pesach that you opened, this little hole, can be tiny, right? The image that's chosen is really virtually the tiniest useful hole that we have in our day-to-day world, the hole of a needle, right, that you put a, a thread through. He said, but the one condition is that it has to be, said in Yiddish, durch and durch, meaning all the way through. It has to truly penetrate, right? When you're making that opening, it has to be an opening that's really open. Nothing blocking it, nothing hanging on, no residue in there. And he says, a small thing like that can happen. He says, that's the value of quality as opposed to quantity. He said, Rav Dessler saw the world disintegrating into quantity, where everybody just wanted to see more, and success is measured in amounts of whatever it is that you're involved in, as opposed to, right, this actual quality of what happens, right, and the idea of it being real and straight through. So he said this is why he felt that Rav Dessler was one of these stars, so to speak, to light up the darkness. He said many of those stars were destroyed in the war, and... Um, Right? He said that there were, there were so few people that were left that were able to kind of bring that light through that hole and open up that opening in other people. But Hashem sends them in every generation, and they're there. So this is the way he described how Rav Dessler saw himself in terms of a shlich. It's a very powerful quote, this one. He said, adam he was a person who gave himself entirely over to his mission. There were times that I was helping him out at home. He said he was very close to me and we were also related. Once he told me myself this, he said, He said, my life isn't mine. I didn't survive the war in order to just sit here and live. I'm really not alive. I really, my life ended there. He said, I have no merit, no reason I should have lived when others didn't. My entire life is to do what Hashem wants, meaning to be that beacon of light in the darkness, and that's what he was in so many ways. Right, he quotes Chazal who say, "Ein lechachaviv lifnei Hakadosh Baruch Hu kishliach shemishtaleach lasos mitzvah nosin nafsho right kadesh yatsliach." There's nothing so precious to Hakadosh Baruch Hu as a shliach who is sent to do a mitzvah, and he gives his soul in order to do that successfully. So that's what he saw in Rav Dessler. That's that idea of through and through that he saw this mission. He knew his name, so to speak, and he went with that all the way as much as he could. Okay, but again, how does this relate to our lives when we're not Rav Dessler? Okay, 
how, how do we deal with it and how do we go back to that idea that Rav Dessler himself said that the opening that we open could be tiny, tiny, tiny as long as it's really through and through. So here's a fascinating idea. There's a little sefer written by somebody named Ruven Leuchter. Ruven Leuchter, he's a Talmud of Revolver. And he wrote a little book, I think it was called Harotze B'Tshuva, about Elul and different things people do. And he spoke about the idea that's brought in many Sifrei Musa, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta wrote about it, that in Elul, you should try to make a Kabbalah, but a small Kabbalah. Right? Take upon yourself something new, the what you call a New Year's resolution. Right? You're going to take upon yourself something, now I'm going to move forward, I'm going to do this in the mitzvah saseh, or I'm not going to do this anymore in the mitzvah saseh, something tiny. And they said that this can change your entire judgment on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So he asked the obvious question, how? In other words, if it's so tiny, why would that be viewed as such a major shift? So he said a fascinating thing. He said the power of a Kabbalah, the power of a resolution that you take upon yourself, depends upon where you're trying to get with it. He says it can take you as far as you wanted to go when you took it on. Meaning, let's say, right, your community, the Rav emphasizes that everybody should come to Davin at least five minutes early. You've always wandered in ten minutes late. You say, that's it. I'm going to come in five minutes early. If your intention is because I want the rabbi to like me, because I want to feel confident in the community, I want to be one of the boys, it will get you there. But if your intention is I want to be entering davening in a different way, I want my mind and heart to be focused on what I'm going to be doing and I want my tefillah to connect me to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that little Kabbalah can take you there as well. It can take you as far as you mean to go. So that's the idea of through and through, meaning that opening that you open is, I really want this to go all the way, to connect me to that which is beyond. Even though other things in my life are still a mess and still negative. It's like that star in the darkness, but it makes a difference. I found a fascinating application of this just to, when I was, the Dafyomi was in Zvachim. It just hit me. There was a whole discussion of, let's say you have a container for flour in the Beis Amikdash, an eifa. Now the container is a kli of Kodesh, right? It's been sanctified for the use of the Beis Amikdash. Now if I put flour in there, at what point does the flour get the status of hektish? So at least one of the opinions says when it's filled up, when the measure is filled up, because you need an eifa. But the other opinion says no. As soon as it hits the container, as long as your intention was to fill up the container, meaning that every little bit you put in there, as long as the intention was that it will add up to the full shear and then eventually get to that, then, right, then it has that power. So this is the idea of a shame. Getting back to that Rashi, to that Medrash, a name is a mission. A name is a sense that there are things that I'm supposed to do in the darkness, in Mitzrayim, in the Shmama, in the desolation. I can't turn it all over, but I can do something which is real. And that something is, so to speak, my name, my true name, who I am. Now let's try to take a look at the concept of stars that other image, and then put them together, the idea of the names and the stars. So here, the Svasemis speaks about, right, what do the stars represent? Right, what do the stars represent? 
Rav Dessler even speaks about the question that many of us have thought of sometime. He says, once you know a little bit about astronomy, you know that there's massive galaxies out there so far away, countless stars, right, that we're seeing only some of them with the naked eye as little points of light on a decent night. But it, and with the best telescopes, you can see more of them, but there's even more than that, as far as we can tell. Why? What are they there for? Right? So a variety of explanations, but part of it is even just to show us right, that a light, which is very far away, can still penetrate through the darkness even to us. Something which is countless light years away we can see it. It can connect. You can reach places, right, in the darkness, through great darkness, more than you ever imagined. So let's see how the Svastamas says it. The sun, we would think that's the ultimate, right? Why even bother to talk about the moon and the stars? With all due respect, when you're outside, even if it's a full moon, even if you don't have all the pollution and the smog and the light pollution, and you see a bunch of twinkly stars, they don't give you much light, right? Compared to the sun, but, he says, you've got to realize, the sun isn't dealing with darkness. When the sun is out, there is no darkness. Am Yisrael compared to the moon, compared to the stars, the mila of that is, is that they light up the darkness, that they illuminate in the darkness. They don't change the nature of darkness, but they're able to do that. He says, Am Yisrael compared to stars because our task is identical to that of stars. We are sent down into a world, so to speak, of darkness. Olam, the very word olam, is a lotion of helim, of hiding. Olam hazeh, a world of physicality, so to speak, hides the spirituality. It's an idea of hester, but just like the stars Give that light in the nighttime and realize what a penetrating light it is. It cuts through countless light years of space and darkness to bring that light into our world. So too, these 70 nefashas were sent into the darkness of Mitzrayim right, in order to bring that light there. So this is what the Svasemis says. He says, The Indian, the Ora Shemeshu Etzem Haya Ora. The light, the sun is the light itself. When it goes from darkness to daytime to light. When the moon is out, that doesn't change the world from night to day. That's a nighttime phenomenon. There's much more light in the day. The darkness is still there when the moon's out, when the star is out. The avod of Bnei Yisrael is to find in this world Right, Torah, the light of the Torah, that the entire Bria was created through the Torah, meaning the ultimate lighting in the darkness, and this he says so powerfully, is to recognize that even the Hester Atzmo, even the darkness that's in this world, comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Even those things that seem to oppose Kedusha, to oppose the Torah, to oppose whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu would want, that is also a creation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's how you illuminate the darkness. You don't make the darkness go away, but now you're able to deal with it better because you realize HaKadosh Baruch Hu created this also and this for a purpose. 
This is so important for dark times. Reb Godel Eisner, who wrote this sefer, well, it's a shmuzen written down. He gave Shurim on the Svasemis. He was about four years in the concentration camps. Some of the Polish Jews went in very early. If they managed to survive, they were there for about four years. So when he talks about this idea of lighting up the darkness, it's not just somebody sitting on his sofa eating bonbons and sipping champagne and talking about lighting up the darkness. He experienced the darkness. He, he saw everything which seemed to go against whatever we are led to believe that Hashem would want in the world. And to be able to say that this too is from Hashem, someone who could do that, that makes a star in the darkness. And it's there even for the small crises that we go through in our lives. It's for the, those small things which are there. Okay, and this is why, right, the stars represent the light and the darkness. Because he said, think, Moshe Rabbeinu said something to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that seemed shocking. And according to Midrashim, it seems maybe Moshe Rabbeinu was even punished for it by having to have that sign of the tzaras that he put his hand into his chest and it came up with because he said, they're not going to believe me. Why you telling Hashem? Hashem said, go tell them. And you're telling Hashem, no, they're not going to believe me. And it says later, that they did believe him. So what was Moshe Rabbeinu saying? Especially it doesn't match the character of Moshe Rabbeinu. He defends Am Yisrael when they did the worst things in the Chumash. He says, erase me from your book if you're not going to save them, etc. He goes all out for Am Yisrael. And here he's saying, they're not going to believe me. So he said, Moshe Rabbeinu was really right. Meaning, they wouldn't have, they can't have emuna shlema at this point. The true full emuna, which is there, that they're not able to have. But, right, the idea is that even the emuna that they do have in the darkness, even if it's not emuna shlema, but they know, he phrased it beautifully, it was Ramesh of Kabrin, I think he said, that a person has to be mamin that he's mamin. Meaning sometimes, I don't feel that I believe, but you have to believe that you believe. <laughs> that's there in those dark times, that that's there, that a person has to have, an, and this is why they had to believe that Akrosh Baruch Hu was there, even though they can't see it, even though it's difficult, right? And that emuna would be able to develop and to enable them to come out of Mitzrayim and to reach the level of receiving the Torah. So that little bit of emuna that they hung on to, that idea when it says, Vayizoku, that they cried out to Hashem, right? It, it means that they understood, right? The Medrash says that they were being chazer b'tshuva. They were so distant, but this point of light inside of them was calling out. This was something that they knew that there was who to call to. And therefore, right, Hashem saw this. And he told Moshe Rabbeinu, these people, right, Rashi says Moshe Rabbeinu asked with what zchus are they going to leave Mitzrayim? What merit do they have to go out? The Swaim say they were in Memtesh Shari Tuma. If we looked at them, right, we probably wouldn't give them membership in a lot of our shuls, right? <laughs> so they're these people. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, you need a zchus to get out. What zchus are they going to have? HaKadosh Baruch Hu told them, when you take the Vada Mitzrayim, Tavdun Eselokim they're going to serve Hashem on this mountain, which means they're going to receive the Torah. Meaning he told Moshe Rabbeinu that what you see of these Jews in the Memtesh Shari Tumah, 
That's because of Mitzrayim. But their hearts are good. The Amunah is in there even though they themselves are not so in touch with it. You have to just get them out of Mitzrayim and then you'll see who they really are. So I'll finish with a story. I've told it before. It's a very powerful, beautiful story. Um, the Bavarov, when he came out of Europe, again, had many, you know, uh, I wouldn't call it adventures, but near escapes, uh, eventually escapes, uh, getting out of Europe. He ended up in Manhattan um, with really nothing. He got some tiny place to be a shul, and uh, he had a hard time getting a minion. It's hard to imagine out the size of the Bavavar Hasidus, which is there. So one Friday, right, it was getting late, and he didn't have a minion in the shul, so he was out on the street trying to pull people in. So I saw a fellow, he didn't have a yarmulke on, he could tell he was Jewish. He says, could you help us make a minion? The guy said, yeah, I guess so. He says, Yeshua Shabbos? He said, I used to be back in the old country. I even used to be chazan a lot for Kabbalah Shabbos. So the Rav said, please, take the Ahmed. And the guy sang a nice Kabbalah Shabbos. Next week he came back again. After a couple of weeks, he stopped coming, disappeared. So one Shabbos morning, the Rav said to his son, Rav Naftali, he said, Where's that Yid that would come down in Kabbalah Shabbos? I don't know. He said, go find him. How am I supposed to find him? Where does he live? He says, he lives on the other side of Central Park, he told me. Go find him. Okay, but a chos is a chos. What can you do? So he went with somebody else, and they start walking across Central Park. And lo and behold, sitting on a bench is the man. Sitting there reading a newspaper and smoking a cigarette. Shabbos morning. So they kind of approach him. They don't know exactly what to say. You say, good Shabbos. You don't say good Shabbos. Like, kind of like, hi. He says, hi. He, says, um, he said, my father misses you. He was wondering where you are. He sent us to look for you. He said, tell your father you found me. He blew a cloud of smoke. That was it. They came back to the Rav. He said, no, did you find him? He said, yeah. He said, no. Sorry to tell you. He, he was smoking on Shabbos. And I said, no, he wasn't. They looked at each other and said, no, Tata, I, I, it's not It's the same, but we saw it. We smelled it, right? He blew it in our faces. He was smoking on Shabbos. Said, no, he was not smoking on Shabbos. Again, back and forth, eventually he says, they said, uh, we don't understand. He said, why can't you understand that it wasn't him smoking? It was the Deitch, it was the Germans smoking, not him. Fast forward many years, the Baba Rav had now moved to Brooklyn, had a huge community, one day after Shachris, an elderly gentleman pushes himself up to the front. He says, Rebbe, you remember me? I used to dive in Kabbalah Shabbos in your steeple on the west side. He says, I remember you. He says, I have a grandchild getting married this week. I wanted to ask you to be Masada Kedushin. He says, I'm weak now. I don't do it even in my own family. But tell me where you're going to have a Sheva Brochus. I'll come. So he told him, and he took his son, Renafto. He says, I want to take you to a special Sheva Brochus. And they went in. And you could see it was a whole family of Jews who were Shomitara Mitzvahs. He said, you see what I told you? He wasn't smoking. It was the Germans. That's what HaKadosh Baruch told Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, they may look in the Memtashari Tumah. That's the Egyptians. Take them out. They received the Torah. It's there. That star is always shining there in the darkness. You have to believe that you believe. You have to believe that it's there. And you have to try to enable it to shine through and even a tiny, tiny little bit that goes all the way through the darkness can change everything. That's who we are. That was our mission then, and that's still our mission now. Okay.